0: one how to grieve we did not come for you uppity bourgeois proper folk we came for stevante we came for the family we came because this boy should be alive today
1: uh here's a question for you that's al sharpton at the big funeral in sacramento yesterday got a lot of national attention for uh stefan clark uh, shot by the police um Who is he addressing as uppity, bourgeois types?
2: Because that's generally a shot... Was he talking to, like, faith leaders? Black faith leaders in Sacramento who'd said, everybody keep cool? I don't know. Who was that shot at? I don't know. Because I haven't heard anybody, quote-unquote, tell anybody how to grieve
1: on any side of this. So I wonder who's... That Hmm. might be the don't protest stuff, although... Stavante, the brother, said, uh, "Don't get all crazy with the protesting." So, yeah, eventually. I don't know. Well, let's hear more from Al Sharpton yesterday.
0: That there's nothing wrong with how these young people are standing up. They're not being violent. They're asking for you to stop being violent to them. They not try to hurt anybody. They're trying to express their pain. And if anybody else won't stand with them i wanted this brother i wanted this mother and this grandmother to know they won't stand alone i flew three thousand miles not for y'all but for them we got their back i am oh boy i am i am you can louder than that i am oh, shit. louder 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 louder
1: and as the brother joining in there at the end oh, and the crowd was shouting the name of Stefan Clark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, you know, I again, uh, I don't know. I, this this sounds so insensitive, you know, at with listening to the, the sound of a funeral. But I'm just uh, this is the wrong situation to make your test case for what's wrong with policing in America. It just is not not enough in your favor.
2: Well, we can uh, certainly discuss that a little more in a moment or two, but first, Chris Carlo joins us. Chris is a uh, radio reporter of actually great experience. I'm looking at your bio here, Chris. You've done some cool stuff. Welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. How are you?
3: Good, guys. Good to be with you here. Um, So
2: we understand you uh, actually, uh, there was no media allowed in the funeral yesterday, correct?
3: Yeah, they just had one pole camera, and then, you know, everybody was just monitoring what that pole camera was feeding out yesterday. So, you know, we were all sitting there watching the same thing, and, and quite honestly, I think everyone was um – I don't want to say surprised but taken aback a little bit by uh, the way that Stevante really kind of seized the moment and I, I, I'm not using a negative connotation there in terms of taken aback it was just it was one of those things where emotion clearly took over for him and so to give some context into Reverend Al Sharpton's remarks of uppity bourgeois what he was talking about is he he actually came on stage because Stevante uh, after grabbing the mic from a woman that he did not know and he he was upset over the fact that there were these other national groups that had kind of descended on Sacramento, and he felt as if they were trying to capitalize on his brother's death. Because and so, they were, because they are. Yes. Uh, You're a reporter; you don't have to. Agree sorry, with that. that
2: was editorializing, <laughs> Chris. Back to
3: you. So, uh, so he after after grabbing the mic was you know essentially going off saying hey listen like um, we've got to we got to keep the family in mind we got to keep my brother in mind we got to protect his legacy uh, and there were other people who were trying to grab the mic back because he was so emotional and you know obviously it was a funeral and there are people who s- say hey if this is a funeral it's got to go a certain way and uh, you could even hear on the tape the woman that he grabbed the mic from uh, first she said be quiet and then she said who's that so she didn't know who stevante the brother of stefan was and so as as stevante grew more and more emotional that would would piss you off oh exactly exactly and so al sharpton came up and he grabbed the mic and that's that first cut that you guys played came immediately after he grabbed the mic from stevante um and then the second wow so i'm
2: sorry chris let me just jump ahead or jump aside for a moment Jump yeah. in. I'm jumping. Um, <laughs> the, 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 so there was a, a, a verbal battle, including mic grabbing, between various quote-unquote civil rights groups trying to grab the mantle of righteousness there at the funeral. How interesting.
3: I, I wouldn't say it was a verbal battle. And, you know, I mean, really it was just. <laughs> well, if the, rever- the
2: quote-unquote Reverend Al took a shot that brutal at them moments afterward, that's,
3: that's a verbal battle. It was uh it was a um... Yeah, yeah. Well, it, here, here's what happened, I and mean, I've I've run into Al Sharpton uh, in a lot of places in a lot of situations. I, I covered the the riots in Baltimore after Freddie Gray. I covered some other things up in Philadelphia. Uh, I've seen him a number of times in D.C. and down in Los Angeles. Has and he ever
1: been wearing that tiny cowboy hat from that
3: video where he bought the drugs? <laughs> I have not seen the, the tiny cowboy hat. Um, but one one thing that is his his modus operandi is is aside from you know coming in and and trying to bring national Attention to whatever issue he's dealing with. Um, he is in every case that I've encountered him. He he does express a very kind of true sympathy for the family, oh, yeah. and and that that's that's what we saw yesterday was as he grabbed the mic, um, he was trying to transition from Stevante's emotion back to the program. And what ended up happening, I think, is he had a eulogy planned, and I think he ended up just completely scrapping his eulogy and just gave off the cuff remarks. As is, I mean, that that is very much the the style of African American creatures, um, dating all the way back to slavery. So, you know, it's, it's that sort of call and respond, which is what we heard there. And then you also saw, um, again, him trying to incorporate Stefan Clark back at the end of his impromptu eulogy. How long was the funeral service? It was just over an hour. I okay. uh, got started got started about 45 minutes late and um that was because there was just so much traffic and you, know, you had a couple hundred people that couldn't even get in there um and 44th Street which is you know just kind of a a, a side street was mobbed with not only people but also media You know, you had a lot what? a lot of TV trucks down there.
1: I'm just trying to picture the dynamic there. So who was in charge of this thing? Um it would seem to me that Stevante... You know, grabbing the mic and starting to talk. If 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 I'm at a funeral for my brother or dad or whatever, I'll grab the mic, talk as long as I want. Nobody else gets to talk. It ends in five minutes, goes five hours. Whatever the hell I want to do. What is it of any business of anybody else's? I can't believe anybody took the mic from him. Yeah, Chris and Carlo is on it's the his, line. It's his brother's funeral. Yeah. I'm just a little confused by that.
3: Yeah, you know, it, it, it was a scene that played out Chaos is the wrong word. I think again, emotions. What I'm going to keep using because it it was just so emotive. As, as as I mean, we've seen Stevante. He he does not hold back, right? And I think it, he was trying to deal with he was trying to deal with the grief that he, had overwhelmed him and has overwhelmed him. As, you know, as his little brother has been killed. And so first, you see him hug the casket, which is you know right beneath the lectern, and then he goes from just kind of being inconsolable at that moment to bounding on stage and, um, and, and, and kind of skipping for a second. And then you see him just, uh, you know, Reverend Al Sharpton comes over and hugs him and you see him completely break down again. And and you can just see how this guy is, is going from dealing with his brother's death, but also looking at, at all these people that are in the, in this sanctuary, many of whom he does not know and trying to comprehend how, what happened to his brother, which has affected him on a personal and private level, also now is this huge national story. Right. And he said, and he said repeatedly, listen, I'm not, I'm not a celebrity. Don't take pictures of me. I'm not a celebrity. Stop taking pictures of me. Yeah, he's an and
2: interesting dude. I'm not sure exactly what's going on with him, but it was clearly out of control from his point of view and, and, and not about his brother. Uh, which, yeah, would make you mad. At least to some extent.
1: Yeah, well, so, I, I think he probably well, just had competing interests there. He was looking at it at a funeral as a funeral for his brother, I think, and whereas some of these other groups were looking at it as a a, a a media platform for this nationwide battle between us and the police or something.
3: Well, I think I think everybody's looking at it as as a platform, and and funerals in these cases, again, I, I've covered a number of these funerals, and and the funeral always ends up being as much a, a political statement as it is a commemoration of a person's life, and you know people can argue whether or not that's appropriate, but it, it is a strategy that has been employed, you know, really going all the way back to Emmett Till. You, you remember Emmett Till? His body was just so badly desecrated in the bottom of the Mississippi River. His mom chose to have an open casket so that photographers could take pictures of his body right. and people could see what happened so it's, it, it is a strategy to say listen this person has died we don't believe that that it is under uh, some sort of just circumstance and so we are going to make this into an event where people have to pay attention to it and so that's what we saw again yesterday
2: reporter chris Ancarlo. carlo hey chris thanks a million good to talk to you yeah of course guys thanks yeah
1: okay all right well listen well, wouldn't that be, wouldn't it just make you, wouldn't it make you just crazy oh, yeah. if you're at a funeral for a a close family member and you get the sense that other people have a completely different agenda? Yeah, but not completely
2: different because Devante absolutely is interested in the politics of it and was aware that yesterday's service was, as uh, Chris put it, also partly
1: about the politics of it. Yeah, so. he's, well, yeah, I just think I don't know he, if he was always that way. He seemed to be going back and forth with a number of emotions. Yeah. Which right. you might be. Right. You might be. Yeah. I'm not going to judge how to grieve. I'm not going to tell people how to grieve. Well, I, I'm not going to tell him how to grieve. I'm te- I'm sa- saying I don't see how Al Sharpton or anybody else takes the microphone away from him. Unless mom comes and takes the microphone away from him. I think it's the family's business oh, no, who's I... talking in the microphone. Absolutely. I, I can't believe anybody took the microphone out of his hand.
2: Well, that's a pretty good uh, illustration of
1: the sort of people who were involved, some of the people who were involved. Can you imagine being at a funeral for someone else's family and thinking, this is going wrong direction. I'm going to go up there and start talking. (laughs) Wow. Okay.
2: Yeah. 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 Well, like I said, that's some information about some of the people involved.
1: What does Don Imus refer to Al Sharpton as? uh, You got it charlatan civil rights leader? An intellectually and morally bankrupt charlatan, I think? Racist, bigoted, civil rights charlatan. Yeah, that was Don Imus' view. Of course, Don Imus did beg for his career back from Al Sharpton, so Al Sharpton has some power in those quarters, apparently. (sighs) So it's the odd times we're living in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our text line is 415 295 kftc 415-295-KFTC. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.
3: Armstrong and Getty.
2: The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
0: The new National
4: Security Advisor, John Bolton, has said some pretty scary things. But we here at The Late Show have found that those things are far less scary when sung by Michael Bolton. Preemption opponents argue that action is not justified because Pyongyang does not constitute an imminent threat. This can kill on command.
1: He never said that, but I bet
0: it's true. I bet it's true.
1: Man, Michael Bolton can sing. <laughs> That's funny. Michael Bolton singing John Bolton quotes <laughs> on Stephen Colbert last night. <laughs> That's pretty damn funny. Oh, man. I really liked, there's been a, a, a number of um, uh, editorial boards, I think both the Washington Post and the New York Times said this is a horror for the United States that John Bolton is the national security advisor.
2: Yeah. But Jimmy but, Carter came out of the woodwork and right. said
1: that. Uh, one of the quotes that they regularly use is why he's so dangerous and unqualified is he said, you could eliminate the the, the top 10 floors from the UN and nobody would notice the difference. And Brett Stevens of the New York Hallelujah. Times, you're right? <laughs> Brett Stevens of the New York Times wrote a column uh, referencing that and how horrified people are at that quote, and saying, T- "Tell me where he's wrong about that." Yeah, and went through all of the sins of the UN that we know about in the last couple of years, stealing money, raping people, not doing anything in the face of all these horrible things that go on in the world. It's like a forty-story building. Tell me how you eliminate ten stories of that building, and it has any bad effect on the world. Yet that that quote is being used regularly to show how John Bolton's just so wildly out of control. Right. Doesn't even believe in the U.N., the U.N.'s ability to go around raping villagers when they're in, in need. Exactly. Having peacekeepers who keep no peace, uh, just rape people.
2: Or just ignoring things and right. writing resolutions that mean nothing. Exactly. Go round and round. See, the problem, listen, the problem with the U.N., if it's useless, is that it claims to be useful and people think it's useful. And so they say, we've got to do something about this. We'll have the U.N. take care of it. Then nothing happens. It, I, I think in many cases, not all cases, because there are a few things the U.N. does fairly effectively, but uh, mostly in terms of distributing clean water gear and that sort of thing, although I, I, you know, arguing with myself over here, I guarantee the costs are higher than they need to be. But anyway, um, the problem is you, you think, okay, the UN's taking care of it. You know, if it were rats in your kitchen and you had the UN take care of it, quote unquote, you'd have 50 rats in your kitchen when you got home from the couple of days you went away to have the UN take care of it. You're worse off. Than if nothing was done. Because
1: then you'd seek a real solution. The UN is useless. It's terrible. Or they would come to fix your rats. You end up with more rats and they'd rape you. Because that has absolutely yes. happened yeah. all over the world. Yeah.
2: So, uh, uh, all right. Uh, transition music, Michael. The wacky one.
1: Here we go. Two, three. Four. You know the words. Don't pretend you don't. Hey
2: now. Yeah men love it, women love it, children love it. All right, turn
0: it off. Turn it off.
2: Great sports story. I can't even believe this. This is crazy. I'm a little extra excited because I grew up in uh, the Chicago area, and I was a huge Chicago Blackhawks fan. It's the hockey team there. Quirk of, of hockey, National Hockey League. You got two goalies. And then... You have an emergency goalie who usually sits in the press box or in the stands or whatever and is practically never, ever used. I don't have the statistic on how often it's happened, but it's statistically never that this guy comes out of the stands. Well, the Blackhawks the other day, they're playing the team from Winnipeg. Their are emergency goalies. This 36-year-old accountant, he hasn't played in a high-stakes hockey game more than a decade. He played in college. He's never played in the NHL. Um He's just there in
1: case your first two goalies get hurt, so he he knows how to be, he knows how to put on the outfit. Right, exactly. <laughs> he knows where to stand. But he's now he plays in one of the high level amateur
2: leagues in Chicago. He still plays hockey, but he's a 36 year old accountant. Well, just before the game, the team's starting goalie gets hurt, like in pregame practice, and then in I think it's the third period of the game. Um, the other goalie, the backup goalie, gets hurt. He has to be taken out of the game. So they're like, Scott, Scott! This guy's name is Scott Foster. So he throws on the gear, and I just watched film of him coming out of the, the tunnel, and the other and the guys on the team were like, so this is the uh, the mysterious emergency goalie we've always had in theory. They give him fist bumps and all. He skates out onto the ice and absolutely stones the other team for 15 minutes for the rest of the game, and they win the game. He played like an NHL all-star. This 36-year-old accountant who was sitting, uh, he's sitting up in the stands. So literally, there is a major league sports, the uh, sport. And I grew up as a hockey fan, playing hockey. I didn't know this. There is a major league sport where you can go from sitting in the stands to playing. Wow. Yeah. Now, cool. granted, you got to be the uh, emergency backup goalie, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's just crazy. I can't wait to watch the the highlights. He said he's been designated as the emergency goalie 12 or 15 games this season. His usual duties involve sitting in the press box and taking advantage of the free food.
1: That's pretty funny.
2: So it's it's such a kind of, oh, there's some highlights. So it's such a kind of honorary thing that they've got like a rotating cast of guys who they get to go eat hot dogs for free, watch the game, and fantasize, you know, maybe someday, some crazy day in this crazy league, one of us will put down our hot dog and get in the game. And, and for, for him, it was last night. It actually happened.
1: That's pretty funny. That's crazy. They should do that in all sports. That's so cool. I love it. Like your third string uh, field goal kicker or something like that. Is. Right. Just a fat guy who washes towels. Come out with some 40-year-old soccer
2: coach From, thinking, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. <laughs>
4: What's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? I well, we got the verdict in the trial of the widow of the Florida nightclub shooter. That is has come in. And a wild development in North Korea relations with the West. Wait do you hear this one. Coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Getty. Okay, I haven't heard
1: this. So I will stay tuned. Man, I'm watching the highlights. This guy's made some great stops. What a cool story. Um, Yeah, huh. he had to be S&B's, if you know what I mean, <laughs> telling me here. <laughs> You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty show. So much, so much, so much going on in the world. And I haven't heard this latest North Korea wrinkle, so I want to right now with Marsha Phillips.
4: Well, I got to tell you, this is wild. International Olympic Committee President Thomas Bach has met with North Korean leader Kim Jong un in Pyongyang.
1: Bach. Well, the little fathead's meeting with all kinds of people these days, isn't
4: he? Indeed. Bach telling the Associated Press the two had a 30-minute formal meeting followed by 45 minutes of casual talking while watching a football game Friday afternoon at Pyongyang's <laughs> huge May Day Stadium. Wow. I, I'm sorry. Who's this character who went to see him? This is the uh, International Olympic Committee president, a guy oh. named Thomas Bach, getting together mm. with, with Un Sports diplomacy, Marshal. Yes. He said that Kim supports a plan to have North Korean athletes compete in the 2020 Tokyo Summer Olympics and the 2022 Beijing Winter Games. So they were talking about how to
1: set that up. Just trying to make them more of a normal country. Yeah, Somebody was running through the other day the whole thing with uh, Madeleine Albright under the Clinton administration right? when she went over and met with his dad and we thought this was a big breakthrough and we got all these agreements and it turned out... Uh, the whole time they were under the agreement, they were cheating, working toward getting the bomb and everything. Yeah, it was out and out fraud. <clears throat> yeah, it was just, it was just plain a lie. And I hope that that Trump and his people are are going into it with, you know, full re- realization that the most likely outcome. Right is he's going to claim he wants to denuclearize while he's trying to get even a better missiles and a better bomb. Well, and and we, we absolutely demand the full, we-can-go-anywhere-anytime inspections.
2: The dangerous lunatic that we're supposed to be afraid of, John Bolton, is absolutely got that attitude. Sure. There's no doubt. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to think, you know, listen, it, this could be a sign of something. little outreach, a little connection with the international community, blah, blah, blah. But there are plenty of absolutely unforgivably horrific regimes that participate in the Olympics. Right. Oh, yeah. So, you know. But,
1: but they're, 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 this definitely is different than the Clinton era in that yeah. we might actually have China you know, in a position where they think, whether it's because of trade or because they believe Trump would attack North Korea or whatever... That the Chinese are saying to a leader of North Korea: Look, you, you, the jig is up. Yeah, you, you just you, you you gotta you gotta get rid of your nukes. This is not going to work out. and We're not going to support you anymore if you don't.
4: You gotta act a little normal from here on out. Yeah, yeah. it's possible. Yeah, and the other thing, the other wrinkle to all this too, is there's a lot of rumors going around that uh, Japan wants to sit down and talk with Kim. The Japanese uh, president wants to come over and talk with Kim. So if you gotta put down your missiles.
2: That's what she said. As in President Xi of China.
0: Yeah. We're, try, we're trying to, we're trying to work that in
2: because
1: yeah. the, the leader of China, the di- current ah, gotcha. dictator of China, uh, Xi. So that's what right. Xi said. Right.
2: That's what Xi, okay. Xi or Xi, that's what Xi yeah. said. Yeah. So, Hilarious, isn't yeah.
1: it? See, it's, if you have to explain a joke that long, they usually don't work that well. <laughs> no. What do you mean? <laughs> So, so. All right, <laughs> uh, another
4: another story breaking out this morning. Noor Salman's being found not guilty in the Pulse nightclub trial. The jury finding her not guilty of all charges of obstruction. That shocks of, me. Obstruction of justice and aiding and abetting her husband, Omar Mateen, in providing material support to ISIS. Uh,
2: uh, it shocks me for a couple of reasons. Number one, based on everything I've read about it, she was clearly guilty. But uh, even more than that... The federal authorities generally don't bring that sort of charge unless they've got a really, really good case. Yep. And at worst, I would have expected a hung jury, but this is a flat acquittal. This is 12 jurors saying, mm-mm, turn
4: her loose. Right. Court reporters say there was a, there were audible gasps from the defense table as the verdict was read. Huh. The defense said they'll make a statement soon, adding, losers talk first. That was their quote. The defense. What does that mean? I say, yeah, we'll let the prosecutors uh, go ahead and, uh, you know, uh, talk, and then we'll, uh, oh, we'll uh, The uh, press talk. conference thing? Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, and listen,
2: hey, uh, I happen to hear a co-worker out in the newsroom talking about getting out of jury duty yesterday, I think it was. Yeah. Please, if you've never served on a jury, listen to a guy who has. Please show up for jury duty. They're getting stricter about it anyway. you get in trouble. There are crazy people. There are stupid people. There are crazy, stupid people on, on juries. If you are not crazy or stupid or, frankly, just one of the above, uh, we need you on juries. Yeah. People are on trial for their lives, and it's scary. Plus, Ma- it's your duty as an American. You bad American.
4: Be a good American. Yeah, not a bad one. Hmm? Be a good American. Mega Millions up to more than half a billion dollars. The drawing is tonight. What would you do if you won? You
2: want to buy a car? You want to buy a house? You want to buy a... Somebody asked me, you
1: want to buy an island? I would. Uh, want to buy an accent? Run away <laughs> and never come back. And she I'd would... buy a wacky accent. <laughs> How much for a wacky <laughs> accent? <laughs> but you already have one. No, oh, it had been wackier than this one. You would ruin your life almost certainly. I would
2: self-finance a chaotic run for the Senate. I would become a self-financed candidate... I would blanket the airwaves. I would speak before
1: every group. I would be omnipresent. That would be fun. That would be fun trying to see if you can get yourself elected to some office. Yeah, and if it doesn't work, you move to a different state and try it again. You can just keep trying until right. you're tired of it there's 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 a Senate then go buy a yacht. <laughs> there's a Senate seat up every two years. You could just show up to whatever state's ready and sure, yeah.
4: And one other note, the NCAA men's basketball final four tips off Saturday at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. You got number three Michigan taking on 11 seed Loyola Chicago in Ooh, the early game. Go Loyolans! And the nightcap is featuring top seeds Villanova and Kansas, and I am pleased to report I'm still in it. Hmm.
1: You're still in it because the, the, the tournament has been so wacky this year. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, but
2: even an ignoramus or someone who knows what? nothing. About the game Could could be on top The
1: the worst thing you can do We all know this The worst thing you can do Filling out a bracket Is (coughs) is Feeling like you. you, I watch a lot of games You stay up late at night To catch the East Coast stuff Or whatever (laughs) Yeah, That person has no advantage Look at all the people That are on TV Whether it's Charles Barkley Or whoever else That follows this stuff For a living They don't do any better Than you do Which is amazing really It is When you think about it Yep
4: all that's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation.
1: Michelangelo, bring me the eagle. I believe that's correct. I, I don't think there's any relationship uh, between knowledge of college basketball and doing well in these tournaments, these racquet tournaments. I think
2: it may even be counterproductive.
1: How could that be? Well, uh, because it's just a one game and anything can happen in one game. Right. Yeah, especially now.
2: That the guys don't stay for four years, right. so it's really hard to get a handle on. You're trying. Who's to, a really good team,
1: and you're trying to get because they most of the time they've never played each other. So you're trying to guess how this team will do against that right. team, right. just right. purely guessing, and you don't have any idea. Right, and pretty much everybody's inconsistent. So, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, I think everybody who's barely paying attention wants to see a, le- a number eleven win, right? The Cinderella oh, yes. team. Oh yeah, I certainly do. And that none everybody's hot for right now. The old nun. The old nun. Sweet old nun. Sister Catherine? I think it's her name.
4: Yeah, Sister Jean. Sister Jean, there you go. I'm barely
1: following it. Right. She's become a giant star. A household name, except for in my household, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) Her best quote last week is... Uh, we will win with the help of Jesus, if that's what he wants, and we need to box out, box out number 17. That nice.
0: <laughs> good
4: analysis by Benita <laughs> Sister Mary uh, Louise. They need a t-shirt that says, we're second to none.
1: In hey, hey nice, there you go. Good. Huh? Another uh, playing word, just like uh, that's what she said. Uh, huh? she, we're killing them today. Uh, You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong
3: and Getty.
2: The conscience of the of nation. Of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Time
1: shakes. Time to the I will say this about the Final Four, as the team I've been rooting for since I was, I don't know, 15 years old. University of Kansas is in the Final Four. Um, man, I used to be so wrapped up in lots of sports. NFL, baseball, college basketball, that sort of stuff. And just painful when my team lost. Oh, yeah. And I don't have that at all anymore. It's just, just... I quit following. and I just don't have that. Mm. Kids or whatever. Um, now it seems like I can't even. I can't even imagine getting there. Seems odd. It from seems the outside, weird,
2: doesn't it? It seems
1: weird looking of back. On you it. seem
2: gay from the inside, not rooting for sports. Please. No, I got a younger brother. I actually know guys who would say that seriously. I got a younger brother. A joke. For folks new to the show, please. <laughs> My
1: younger please. brother has gone the other direction, never followed sports his whole life, and then for whatever reason, with his daughter older and that sort of stuff, he's really into sports and just like, right? lives and dies oh, by a bunch of teams. Yeah. I'll be damned. Huh. My grandma, late in life, huge Minnesota Twins fan, living in South Dakota, and really listen to every game. You know, it's so funny. It's a pastime. It's a hobby. It is. It is a hobby, and it's it's something to care about. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We've
2: talked. Well, we got something good to talk about here. But you know, when people have nothing to fear, they live in a safe and affluent society. They invent fears and make themselves crazy. Well, I think maybe if you know you're you're in the coasting years, and other than your health, there's really not much you have a stake in. You need something. Sure. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely not. No, I'm not. I'm not judging. I'm not looking down. I will look down on you for fubbing, however. We talked about this briefly at the end of the show yesterday. Fubbing with a PH. It's phone snubbing. It's um when a conversation stalls because you or your friends uh, have pulled out a phone and, uh, and and started looking at something instead of you know paying attention to what's happening in the moment. Says a psychologist at Stanford and Yale. It's a hell of a commute. Um, Ironically, fubbing is meant to connect you, presumably, with someone through social media or texting, but it actually can severely disrupt your present moment in-person relationships. I've always thought it was rude. I've found myself doing it. I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's
1: good, but... I've tried to just accept it's the way the world is now and not be as bothered by it. And sometimes I just pause. Jack, some
2: people felt the same about slavery. (laughs) They would just accept that as the way the world was, but some people fought against it. <laughs> that may not be my greatest unfair argument, but it's in the top five.
1: Uh, that's funny. Uh, and I've done it without <laughs> getting upset, but in the midst of talking and somebody picks up their phone and starts looking at it, and I just pause. I don't tap my foot. I don't have an angry look on my face. That's I just, a mistake. I just pause <laughs> realizing they're checking something. Tap and then in, with increasing volume. Then I go back to what I was saying. <laughs> I'll just wait.
2: I'll just wait. That's what you say. But these uh, very, very smart people have done a a, a couple of big studies. One more recently, this uh, gal who uh, is the bi-coastal egghead. In the latest study on the subject, fubbing was found to threaten four fundamental needs for psychological health. Belongingness, self-esteem, meaningful existence, and control. By making fubbed people feel excluded and ostracized. That may be particularly harmful because fubbing happens all the time, researchers say. So it's a little snub over and over and over again. It can affect relationships, according to other research. Two separate studies uh, found that when spouses fub each other, they're more likely to experience depression and lower marital satisfaction.
1: Which came first. Is it a cause or an effect? Exactly. Which came first. You're not really interested in what she has to say anymore. So, hey, yeah, I wonder how the ball game's going.
2: Yeah, <laughs> if your life partner is on the phone, that means they're prioritizing something else over you in those moments of togetherness.
1: But again, chicken or egg. She's texting her boyfriend. She's not really listening to what you're saying.
2: <laughs> yeah, I see your point. Uh, of course, the person being snubbed is the one hurt most hurt by fubbing, but the fubber is affected too study that just came out two months ago found that people who use their phones while eating with friends or family said they enjoyed their meal less, felt more distracted, and less engaged than those who didn't use tech at the table. As I've mentioned before, uh, uh, smartphones were strict verboten at our house, the Getty home, um, during family dinners. And I oh, suggest both. that to the rest of y'all, too.
1: Oh, no way I'm allowing my kids looking at their phones at the dinner table. Yeah. Not a freaking chance. Yeah, yeah. Um, fubbing may also
2: hurt your reputation. Phone users are generally seen as less polite and attentive and as poorer conversationalists.
1: The fact that it hurts the <coughs> fubber, uh, not just the fubby, that's the whole there's no such thing as multitasking. So if right. you're, if you're doing something on your phone, you're not paying attention to the family dinner. It's just a fact.:
2: Yeah, well driven home. That's a good point. Um, <clears throat> and you know, one might be tempted. I was tempted. The thought popped into my head. Um, you know, phone users are generally seen as less polite and attentive. Well, by older people. You know, younger people, they're used to it, blah, blah, blah. Some You can be used to something that happens, or it happens regularly, and it is still terrible. It still does psychological damage and hurts people.
1: I can't imagine it going away, though. I, I can. I hope you're I'm right. not
2: saying, oh, I, no, I, mm, no, I just said I can't imagine it. I'm not saying it's going to happen. Um, I'm, imagine old school. Because more and more and more people will realize what they're doing to
1: themselves. Imagine old school phones, and uh, typewriters, I guess, if you're going to go really old school. So you're having a conversation with somebody, and they just walk over and pick up the phone and start talking to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think, what the hell? Right. Or you're talking to them, and they just sit down on a typewriter and start, tak, ha, tak, <laughs> what right, are you exactly. doing?
2: Dear Aunt Louise.
1: <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sending a message to my aunt. We were talking. We're what in the do- middle of something here. Yeah. yeah. But now we do it all the time. You know,
2: that's very funny, but it's sickening. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Because we were talking. We were doing something here. Many experts consider a device habit worrisome when it begins to interfere with everyday life, like it does for virtually, well, for a lot of people. Feeling compelled to text or scroll through the phone during face to face conversations, blah, blah, blah. You might miss critical impacts of human moments that really make up what a human life is. Absolutely. It's That's
0: really
1: I... scary that we're replacing that with looking down at a screen. I try to remember, I try to remind myself of that. And God dang it, trying to, you know, check in on my texts and emails regularly throughout the day, it's really difficult for me to only do that. And not also check on stuff I don't need to check on uh, more than I need to. And that one facial expression from your kid while they're telling you something might be the whole story. Right. Might be something you remember
2: for the rest of your life. If only you'd been looking. Yeah. Um, I'm really troubled by that. I We, were, uh, we did that uh, thing with the Hoover Institution at Stanford the other day. Um, and, you know, we made a lot of jokes about being dumb guys at Stanford and the rest of it. But it was really, really, really interesting. Because I, it was, was, great. A,
1: because I was a dumb guy at Stanford. Well, That's where the joke came from.
2: Well, anyway. I, it's bad to explain humor. Anyway. um, But th- we had a bunch of prep reading that we could do for it. And I think they kind of expected us to do. But it was... The stuff was of the length of short to medium-sized magazine articles. And I found myself struggling to focus... Long enough to read like a medium sized, you know, web post, like uh, you know, th- four pages because I kept wanting to have my mind flit to something else because it's used to flitting, 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 and that scared me. Oh, yeah, that wasn't r- trying to read a 1400 page biography of Genghis Khan, that was reading a, f- a five pager. Oh, yeah, my... I thought, wait a minute, something has changed in your dome, son.
1: Oh, yeah, no doubt about it, my attention span has uh has changed for reading, and it, it, it takes me effort to get into a, a long-form book. It's your brain adjusting to the modern real world. Right. It's so amazing
2: it, how plastic your brain is. So that, that you
1: don't go crazy, or you can take in the information the way it's being delivered to us now. Your Your brain is plastic. I mean, that might just sound like, you know, trying to justify it, but you... If you're going to take information in at the pace it's being given to us for a job like ours or whatever it is
2: you do. Yeah, I think there's a reason there's skyrocketing rates of anxiety. Oh, yeah, I don't think it's a bad uh, idea. Of
1: course it's bad. All right, I'm leaving. I'm out. Good luck. (laughs) Good luck with that. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.